wonderful to be in the house of the Lord, to sing praises to him with such uh, joy, how great thou art. And it's a joy to uh, have the word and to hear the word publicly read for us and to hear it. Uh, so I invite your reverent attention, your joyful hearing of the word of the Lord in Matthew 22, reading verses 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his talk. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodotians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Uh, contextually, uh, the life of Christ is uh, now a point of a great challenge. It is the Passion Week, perhaps uh, Tuesday. Uh, he is encountering uh, something that has been intensifying for quite a season in the study of the book of Matthew, uh, namely uh, tribulation. We'll climax, of course, with the great tribulation of the cross. But it is for us a reminder that uh, the church faces, not unlike our Savior, multiple threats. There are two threats in our text this morning. On the one hand, we have false religion seen in the temple mafia that comes uh, full of pretense uh, but empty of genuine faith. On the other hand, we have civil government that may usurp its role and intrude into the realm of the sacred which belongs solely to God. Jesus will tell us how to respond to both. And so false religion comes to meet the Savior. Temple precincts, the week of the Passion, uh, but false religion uh, makes a war upon all of us. Uh, this morning it will set a trap for Christ, but the traps are everywhere. Remember when I was in the army, I received a measure of training upon uh, laying of minefields and... Uh, Booby traps, you always keep a map of where you set them so that you don't trigger them yourself. Uh, the Bible is a map of where the mines are and where the booby traps are. For Jesus, uh, again, this defines a significant part of the end time tribulation that will end with the physical persecution of the cross. The Lucan account reads that uh, the Pharisees dispatch spies who come pretending to be righteous to catch him in some statement. 
Luke 20 and verse 20. And both Mark and here, the idea is to entrap. They come to entrap Jesus with a word. In that regard, it is a hunting or fishing metaphor. Now, the point I bring to you in light of the metaphor is that they are predators. And he is the prey. He's the hunted one, but we are too. And that's why we need a road map of where the mines are, as well as how to respond when we come across a trap. The nominal form of the verb to entrap uh, is used oftentimes in the Psalter, surprisingly enough. Uh, what's even remarkable about uh, that word as it's found in the Psalter is who sets the traps? Uh, oftentimes it comes from members of the covenant community. That's, in a sense, what's happening here. The Pharisees belong to the visible covenant community. They come to set a trap. They come fishing to catch our Lord. It's found, uh, for example, in the 124th uh, Psalm, if you have your Old Testament, I trust you do, uh, Psalm 124, in uh, verses 6 to 8. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's repaired to the great doctrine of the creation that the world sets traps for us, false religion sets traps, and God is our sovereign creator, spiritually protects us and gives to us, again, a map of where all the traps are so that we can respond accordingly and properly. I would remind you that the church in America faces a war of words in bad theology. Again, theology from within the church itself. It's not unlike a great propaganda offensive meant to turn us. The reality of this, again, Psalm 55, a great reminder of the war of words, and it's essentially the trap that's set before our Savior this morning. They try to set a trap with words to catch Him. Psalm 55 and the 21st verse. His speech was smoother than butter, but his heart was war. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. It's interesting if you look at the parallelism of words, the first parallelism is war. Words are agents to create war with the saints as they are here again fashioned to trap Jesus. Words are likened to be a sword. Sword is an offensive, defensive weapon. Here it's meant to be offensive uh, to take the life from the Savior. Uh, I remind you uh, that words are transformational in the church. They make us over. Uh, the word literally here is soft words in that they are spun to deceive us, to get us to do something that will ultimately uh, be to our undoing. Uh, I am reminded that soft words lead to a soft faith, a faith that is uh, easily moved. Uh, the bait for Jesus here this morning is flattery. Uh, but the irony of the flattery here, of course, it's all true. Uh, they come spinning words of flattery to cause our Savior to lessen His guard. Uh, it's 
good reminder to focus momentarily on the truth of the flattery. Jesus is truth. He's the living truth. He's the truth incarnate. He's the very Word of God. Comes to us and speaks to us the truth about God, and the way to God. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Our culture spins that in myriads of ways in the church. There are many ways to God, many ways to heaven, but Jesus says, I am the way, and the truth, and the life, and no one, utterly exclusive, no one comes to the Father but by me. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. If you spun some way that you can have peace with God apart from Christ, uh, your mind is filled with soft words. Someone has uh, infected your mind with uh, a deception that's transformed you. I simply can remind you of who Christ is. He is the truth about God, and there's no way to God except through Him. He teaches the way of God in truth. It's the entire point of teaching. Namely, the way of God in contrast to the way of man. Essentially, that's the great warfare of the world in which we live. The way of man and the way of God. One's going to win. Guess which one? The way of God. Christ will triumph. Even though for a moment, uh, it's the appearance that he has failed, uh, he will not. He will conquer even the cross and death. Uh, lastly, Jesus was not partial to wealth and power. The idiom is literally, you do not see the face of man. Uh, you don't judge appearances. Christ, our God, looks at the heart. Uh, the bait for us as Christians is falsehood. For Jesus, it was flattery. Men, including churchmen, will want to trick you to do or to believe something that is harmful to your faith. Dangerous to your faith. And so again, we have a roadmap here as to how to respond. A map of where the mines are, if you will. Where the booby traps are. What are some of the other booby traps other than what's here? Well, how about Christianity without discipleship? You can kind of hang around the periphery. Believe, but not be a disciple. Not be a follower. Just encourage you to read the book of Matthew. How about a cafeteria Christianity? Just kind of go through the line and uh, just kind of pick and choose what you want and leave those things that are not palatable to you aside. Uh, again, we are given the whole counsel of God. Apostle Paul, when he stands before the Ephesian elders as he's on the way to his own doom in the calling of God as an apostle of Christ, says to the Ephesian elders, I gave you the whole counsel of God. We get bits and pieces here and there, wedded with the way of man. It's a way of deception. It's a way of falsehood. It's a way, if you will, to use a very harsh metaphor, it's suicide on the installment plan. A little here, a little there. Christianity without the heart. Christianity absent truth. One of the great books on this subject is the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel, uh, we are presented in that book, and the first half is a biographical section about Daniel, mainly to tell us how to live in difficult times. You want one of the great roadmaps as to how to find where the landmines are in the Christian faith? Read Daniel. Uh, read the biographical section because he is the epitome of a man who so lived in a dangerous time, in a dangerous place, surrounded by dangerous theology, and he survives by virtue of the grace of God. He tells us in his life how to live. 
Then the last section is, again, the coming of a great threat to the church and uh, simply to compress the reality of the uh, second part of Daniel's lawlessness. Lawlessness. Uh, we can know God and yet be lawless. Christianity absent obedience. Now, Christianity absent faithfulness, steadfastness. If you will, lawlessness. And so many uh, fall prey in the covenant community, fall prey to Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, they, uh, they set aside uh, the law of circumcision. They uh, set aside their dietary laws. And, of course, they're transformed. They're made over. And culture swamps them. They become Hellenized as over against Christianized. Again, compression of uh, theology of one book of the Bible tells us a great deal about where the booby traps of life are. Lawlessness is a great booby trap to the church. That's why we continually stress to Grace Bible Church our abiding, continual need for the grace of God to preserve and to protect us that we might remain steadfast upon His Word. Again, false religion uh, comes to make war with Christ. Uh, the question here is whether it's lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar. Either, either answer is meant to catch him. Uh, if he says yes, it will anger the people who hated Roman occupation. If he says no, it will anger Rome. And there were some, again, within the covenant community, the Herodians, of course, uh, who, who were very favorable to Rome. Uh, they'd made their peace with Rome. And in the answer that Christ gives, uh, again, we have a roadmap as to how to escape uh, traps uh, by rendering what is lawful to government and to God, again, verses 18 to 22. I would simply remind you that uh, in uh, these verses, we will learn that uh, the great way to escape the, the traps of the world, whether false religion or civil government, is, of course, the Word of God. It's why, again, our continual practice in Grace Bible Church is the exposition of the Scripture, continual uh, stressing of the importance of the living, breathing Word of God that we might have wisdom. Well, Jesus uh, knows their malice. Uh, the word uh, literally is He knew that they were evil. Uh, Luke has it that He detected their trickery. Uh, they come to trick Him. Uh, the idea really is much uh, stronger than a trick. Uh, it's a compound form of the verb to think. And so He perceived their trick. If you will, to rely on a different metaphor, a sports metaphor, uh, much of sports is uh, deception, how to deceive someone uh, so that they think you know what they're going to do, but they do something else and catch you off guard. That's uh, what is facing Christ. But he knew what they were up to. Let's look at this concept of trickery or craftiness, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. Uh, there was a great deal of craftiness that was seducing the Corinthian church. Uh, they were much more accepting of false teachers than they were the Apostle Paul. Imagine that. Early in the life of the Christian church, they're about to reject uh, one of the greatest men of all time, the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and the second verse, but we have renounced the hidden things because of shame, not walking in craftiness, Notice the parallel or adulterating the Word of God. 
mixing the Word of God with the way of man. Pretty strong metaphor, adulterating the Word of God. Uh, One of the great uh, mantras of the Reformation, uh, Scripture alone, Uh, the ultimate authority of the life of the church, the Word of God. You begin to adulterate it, you will eventually destroy the church. And if you, again, in your life begin to adulterate it or accept the adultery of the Word of God, uh, you are caught in a trap. Chapter 11, the same epistle, verses 3 and 4, But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your mind should be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel by which you have not accepted, Again, it's reminding the church that another Christ is a trick that's before them, a different gospel, a different spirit. Ephesians uh, chapter 4, 14th verse, the Apostle Paul reminds us using weather metaphors, very instructive, you've lived in springtime Oklahoma any period of time in your life, Uh, the 14th verse of the fourth chapter of Paul's epistle to the church at Ephesus. As a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Concept of winds meant to blow you off course. And uh, we all know so many Christians who are caught in different winds of doctrine. It blows one way and then different way. Uh, they are tossed about uh, by continually different ways, no subtleness, no constancy, no purposefulness, uh, because men come into the church uh, to destroy, to trick. Jesus here calls them hypocrites, a thespian metaphor. They're acting parts. They are pretenders. Uh, Life is filled with pretenders. Sometimes the church is filled with pretenders. If you're undiscerning, you take the bait and fall into the trap. One of the great things about our culture uh, is uh, we are surrounded by continual parade of warning messages. Might be a road sign. Be careful, slow down. There's road construction. Uh, Of course, a continual uh, parade of uh, medical warning signs. Don't, Don't do this, don't do that. Yet the Scriptures are filled with warnings, are they not? That's really precisely the point of the text that we have just read. Uh, If you uh, don't uh, engage the warning signs of, say, local civil government, you probably will face a stiff fine from maybe a highway patrolman or a local sheriff or police officer. But in Scripture, uh, eternal consequences... We don't think in those terms, but that is the point of the text. Eternal consequences. Jesus, or pardon me, the Apostle Paul standing before the Ephesian elders, uh, after my departure, savage wolves and men from your own selves. Isn't that interesting? He says, men from your own selves will arise, not sparing the flock. Church is filled with pretenders. Uh, I think one of the great 
ministries the church fails at today because it's one of the most hard it's one of the most difficult to practice is warning people that they're in trouble but sad as the case is like so many people we simply turn the alarm off and our consciousness becomes seared again the bible is full of warnings our context here is it not very interesting our immediate context we looked at this last week is a pretender has come into the covenant community Matthew 22, verse 12. Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? He was speechless. The king says, throw him outside. He swept into the covenant community. He responds to the visible call of God, but not the effectual call of God. He's pretense. That's exactly what Israel has become in the days of Jesus. Uh, it's what the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Herodians represent. The pretense of religion. Pretense of Christianity. But again, the Word of God is our roadmap to where the mines are. Where the booby traps are to awaken us, to remind us not to go there. Look at some of them. Second to last book in the New Testament, the very brief epistle of Jude. Verses 3 and 4, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Let me stop here momentarily because it's a great reminder to all of us. Once for all delivered to the saints. Uh, the Christian faith does not undergo evolutionary thought, notwithstanding uh, the teachings in many seminaries. I happen to hearken back to the great historical event of the Protestant Reformation. It's a historic reminder, but you can antedate the Protestant Reformation to the soteriology of Augustine, calling the church to the great reminder of the doctrines of the grace of God. Problem is, in the American church, we don't do history very well that to our danger, because that's a neglect of one of the great landmines of the church. I don't bring anything to you that's new. If I do, I'm seducing you. Now, why is, why is Jude doing this? Why is he telling them uh, about the faith once for all delivered to the saints? Well, notice the reason, verse 4, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Kind of like the wedding guest who's crept into the ceremony unnoticed who were long beforehand were marked out for this condemnation and godly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They were simply lawless Christians. Libertines, if you will. One of the great enemies of the Apostle Paul, the libertines that dogged him. Well, become a Christian, I can do whatever I want to do now. I've, I've gotten the eternal issue over with. I can live in both worlds. Again, it's a perversion of the faith. It's a great parade of metaphors that Jude uses to describe the danger of these men. Verses 13, pardon me, verses 12 and 13. These men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feasts. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, 
Autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. That's as great a parade of landmines as can be presented. Sailors look at charts to find out where the reefs are. If they don't, they're going to run aground. Our chart is the Bible. Used to be a time in which sailors and sometimes navigators shoot the stars to find out where they were. These men are like wandering stars. There's nothing to shoot. You shoot them, you're going to really be in trouble. We have a fixed star in the Word of God. Lord Jesus Christ. Get your eye on something else. You're going to wander. Isn't it interesting that one of the great metaphors of the Gospel of Matthew is that of pretense. There's this tree that gives evidence that it's filled with figs. The closer Jesus comes, it has no figs. What does He do to it? He curses it. And so it's picked up here, the same metaphor. Autumn trees without fruit. Clouds without water. Remember a couple years ago when Oklahoma was faced with just this long, unremitting season of drought and heat. You could look at the lake right across to our west and it's just ugly. Session of the water, exposure of the banks, some of the sailboats are simply leaning over because they were caught. There's no water to float them anymore. What an ugly picture. This is ugliness. It's a warning to the church. Be careful. Because people do come in and they're pretenders. Throw your roadmap away where the landmines are. You can find yourself in a terrible track. Again, a great picture in the Gospel of Matthew as to the answer. Uh, I think there's a direct application to us as a church today, but Matthew chapter 10. Uh, Christ is warning His disciples that uh, they're going to face multiple dangers of which He is now facing. And notice uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 and 20. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak. For it should be given to you in that hour what you are to speak. For it is not you that speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Obviously, pre-canon time in the life of the history of the church, and we have the Bible, that's how we answer uh, false religion comes to persecute us in the Bible. That's our path to uh, how to respond to Scriptures. It's a set of uh, directions as to how not to get caught in traps. But let's shift now from false religion to government, civil government. Sometimes civil government turns upon the church. Uh, history of the church filled with that. Civil government usurping its role, improperly exercising its power. Uh, so should Jesus pay a poll tax? He asks for a coin. Denarius, a small silver coin. 
that bore the image of Caesar with the inscription, Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus. Caesar had a high view of himself, uh, but lots of civil governors have high views of themselves. You ever hear the uh, concept in American political history of a messianic complex? That's what Caesar had. It's a profound danger. Men get caught up in themselves as to what they can and cannot do or should do or should not do because they forget themselves and they forget the divinely appointed role of government. On the reverse of the coins, very instructive, Caesar is seated on the throne, dressed as a high priest, with just those words, high priest. Verse 22, pardon me, verse 21 of the 22nd chapter, this is the answer of our Lord. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It's imperative. Give it. Give it to Caesar if it's his. But if it's God's, give it to him. If they ever conflict, repair to the latter. Give it to God. There are some things that are not reserved for civil government. God has constituted civil government to restrain evil or to establish national defense simply don't have the time, but Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, 17. Uh, but nonetheless, government has a lawful role in our lives. Uh, very instructive to me that more and more of uh, American contemporary culture seemingly is stressing anarchy. Again, it's a violation of uh, civil life. But one role government does not have of which it is refused to have by God, is to intrude upon the sacred. That is unlawful. Caesar is not a high priest. We have no spiritual duties to the state. None whatsoever. Jesus is our high priest. Again, Hebrews 8.1, Hebrews 9.11, one high priest. I would simply remind you in contemporary American political discourse, religion is under assault today. The state has, I think, become intrusive. I, I digress momentarily, fear and trembling, but uh, it's my settled conviction. If you disagree with me, you certainly are permitted to do that, and you can certainly contend with me afterwards. But political liberalism or progressivism, in my mind, is a religion that will not stop until we approve of its agenda and are radically conformed to its agenda. They will not stop. They come at bits and pieces here and there, but they are very patient. They want everything. We can give them nothing of what they want because we have a higher duty to God to worship Him alone. I mean, I love the words of the Old Testament. If I perish, I perish. If Jesus refused false religion, we must refuse the state. If it becomes a religion, as God imposes a higher order of allegiance. I would remind you that the first century church faced the great threat of civil government in the emperor cult. If they would not swear allegiance to Caesar as God, they were persecuted terribly. Christ is our Caesar. We must not deny Him. We must 
bear true faith and allegiance to Him whose image is stamped upon our souls. Care less what images are stamped upon a coin. It's what's stamped upon our souls that is radically important. Therefore, the simple lesson of this text is that we owe taxes to the state and to God. But the latter is the higher duty mandating our subordination. Our duty to God is every day, not just 15th of April. It's January 1 to 31 December. And when either false religion or the state intrudes upon our duty to Him, we must remain true to Him regardless of the cost. A great reminder of this in the book of the Revelation, uh, false religion, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance. What a great words to fall upon the church today. Persevere in the faith. And that you cannot endure evil men, you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false. I'm not so sure that we're not dancing with false apostles in much of the American church today. I'll leave that to your discretion in terms of application. But you dance with falsehood, it will utterly change you, make you over. Steal your heart away from your true allegiance to Jesus Christ, the one true God. Revelation chapter 2 and the 10th verse, civil government. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you a crown of life. Two threats in the world for the church false religion, civil government when it violates its proper role as so constituted in the Bible. But let me repair to that which is important in this text. Give to God the things that are God's. By the way, what is God's? How about everything? In that sense, our tax is total. God doesn't settle for portions. He wants everything. I understand there are many obligations. I'm not saying that you, you can't reserve time for family, reserve time for entertainment, rest, relaxation, time for savings, preparing for the future. I'm just simply suggesting to you that it all belongs to God. He does not take pretense or repentance absent fruit. We cannot bring a counterfeit life. That's one of the great lessons of the Gospel of Matthew. God doesn't accept counterfeits. It's more than money. It's a comprehensive sense of stewardship that everything belongs to Him. What you think, what you see, what you watch, how you act, your plans, all submitted to the grandeur of His sovereign, providential control over everything. It is an attitude that we are not our own. Give me give you a historical illustration of the life of John Calvin. Calvin had a number of uh, tremendous uh, health issues in his life. A physician once told him that he must cease from working so much or he would die due to the complication of his many diseases. He replied, would you have my master come and find me loitering? 
Calvin understood the reality of give to God's the things that are God's. Now, again, I'm not suggesting you can't have time, seasons of leisure, entertainment, vacations. Certainly encourage you to do those things, but remember, you're not your own. Give to God the things that are His, and even in your leisure time, belongs to Him. Serve Him in it. Represent Him in it. Great uh, reminder from the Old Testament sacrificial system. Uh, when they brought the animals, they brought the whole animal. The entire animal was consumed. And so, given that theology, the Apostle Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable and spiritual service unto Him. In the Old Testament, bulls and goats and turtle doves, in the church, it is you are the sacrifice. This notion today of Christianity without sacrifice belies the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament and utterly puts to trash Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. We become the sacrifice. The Apostle Paul tells us, I've already been poured out as a drink offering in service to your faith. That is what we do for our families, for our churches, for our neighbors, to be spent in the service of the great King. Because we give to God what is God's. To remind you, one of the great landmines of the American church, he doesn't just take one day, one hour of one week, he takes every day. It all belongs to him. And therefore, we give it willingly. Well, there are many duties and obligations in life. If they ever conflict with God and the divine, God must prevail. The Scriptures so declare it. We're to give to God the things that are God's. We must give to families. We must give to different aspects of our lives, to our employers. But if they ever, ever conflict with God, our allegiance to Him is a greater allegiance. And we reserve to Him everything. I would trust this morning that in a study of the Scriptures, you can go away with something of the notion that the Bible is the greatest map of uh, where all the landmines and booby traps are that's ever been written. Jesus has told us too, there are many. False religion and civil government that usurps its role and begins to pretend that it is divine. There's but one God. Let us worship Him and serve Him with our whole beings. In the words of Moses, let us love God with all our hearts, all our minds, all our souls. A total love. A love that gives everything, reserves nothing because of who He is, our great Savior and only Redeemer in Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us render Him such worship and if conflict comes, and if we're spent in tribulation and persecution, it's a worthy cause, for He is worthy, and we are His servants. 
And if we are ever to be poured out as a drink offering in the advancement of the kingdom of God, let it be so. The apostles uh, considered it to be a great privilege to suffer for the name of Jesus. Many in the church today are suffering in distant lands. I don't know whether our time is coming or not. I haven't a clue. I know the great threat facing the American church is the dilution of theology and the giving of the way of the truth and the dancing with falsehood. If you will, my previous metaphor, it's suicide on the installment plan. May our devotion here be to the Scriptures. And if we ever run contrary to our political system, may the Scriptures inform us of the way that we are to act Honor God, because of who He is, our Redeemer. And let us live in such a manner that the world will know who our King is.